Thanks, you guys. Good morning. Happy Easter. He is risen. Yeah, good job. Excited uh, about today. Just, I mean, it's kind of like the bread and butter of Christianity, isn't it? Easter Sunday. But uh, the exciting thing about Easter Sunday, you know, uh, many, many, many years ago when Jesus rose from the grave, they were uh, worshiping on the Sabbath, on Saturday. When Jesus rose on the first day of the week on Sunday, guess what started happening? Easter was not just celebrated the next year, it started being celebrated every single week as they gathered together to worship Christ on Sunday morning. So uh, we get that privilege every week to worship Jesus, and uh, I'm excited about that. Uh, we're going to be in the book of 1 Peter, if you wanted to turn there in your Bibles uh, with me, 1 Peter chapter 1. Um, before we get there, I'm going to read a little bit of the account, or most of the account, of the resurrection. And uh, I'm actually going to be reading out of uh, a book called The Story, which it's, it's a kind of a harmonization of the accounts of Scripture in a chronological order. Kind of gets more fullness. Like this week, I've spent a lot of time reading the, the account according to Mark or Luke or John or Matthew. And, and you know, you, you want to pick and choose from those things. But uh, uh, this book called The Story is, is basically all Scripture with a little bit of paraphrase uh, in between, like as a segue to the next section. Uh, but very well done uh, for someone maybe who has trouble with Scripture, just reading the books of the Bible, seeing the chapters going, you know, to then to the next book that has similar things. What does that mean? They've kind of put it in a chronological readable way. There's 31 chapters from Genesis to Revelation. Gives you a good, at least, overview, a good start uh, if you're interested in that. But I will be reading uh, out of this today the story of the resurrection. <clears throat> um, before we do that, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get prayed up. But I want to also give you a, a heads up, a little bit of an account uh, for this week. We've been working hard this week on our Love Does projects, right? And uh, that's been extremely exciting. And we've We've had so many projects throughout the week. We started, uh, we actually started on Monday with a combined uh, worship and prayer night at Hope Community Church. And, and that's one of the aspects that this week has been so rewarding to see is the unity that's been shared between the churches in Mount Shasta. Uh, we've really come together to say, you know, this is about Jesus. This is about serving people. This is about us being the larger big C church, the body of Christ. Uh, so we've been doing a great job with that. A lot of projects that had tons of overlap, a lot of people helping out in lots of different ways. But people, people knew that they were being loved this week, um, and people knew why they were being loved, that we love because Christ first loved us, and, and he's called us to love them and to be his hands and feet and to reveal uh, to them that he is the Savior. So it's been a very rewarding week, whether you were a bank teller and you got a, a coffee or you were an EMT and got a box of donuts or a police officer. or the D, We went to the DMV with donuts. I, ha I have to tell you, though, they, they cannot accept food there. But, but they did. So anyway... <laughs> It was great. It was just, you know, they saw the heart behind what we were doing as a community. We loved them, and uh, it, was, it was really, really rewarding. Uh, even yesterday, we had tons of projects going on. We were serving the Escaton Washington Manor uh, and the residents there with uh, house cleaning or housekeeping, window washing, whatever they needed. We made meals for them. Uh, we worked in their garden over there and did some pro projects out there. Uh, we had tons of people come, come together from the churches to go out and serve widows within our bodies and even widows from outside of our bodies that were in need and would be a blessing to them. Uh, clearing brush, kind of spring cleaning, just being a blessing to them as well. Uh, really amazing day. Cooks in the kitchen, uh, preparing those Easter meals to deliver. Uh, just again, I, I'm so so pleased to be a part of a community of Christ that says, others first, others first. And we want to see God uh, revealed to them in, in mighty ways. So that was, was awesome, and it was accomplished this week. Uh, we also had a Good Friday service, right? A community Good Friday service, again, at Hope Community Church uh, on Friday. And it was on Friday evening. If you go into that, it was pretty amazing. It was a blessing. Uh, to be there to worship and just really think about the cross and the, and the sacrifice there. But, but more than that, we're there, and uh, Pastor Corey from The Gathering was preaching, 
And, and that evening, if you remember, that was the night that the rain came in, the clouds really got dark, and it started thunder and lightning, right? During Good Friday service, I'm like, whoa, is this like, this is like scripture. If it just blacks out here, what's going on? But it was powerful. It was really powerful to be a part of that. So again, the unity that was shown in the community, amazing, uh, just a blessing to see that. Uh, and I think that's, that, that speaks volumes to a world who sees division in Christians, sees hypocrisy in Christians. Uh, this week was one of those examples that we were able to set <clears throat> to not be divided, to be united, uh, and to share the love of Christ and the hope of Christ that, that he has filled us with, with our community. So good job, way to be faithful with that. Continue that. That's a model that we set for you, but we're to do that out individually and love our neighbors uh, also individually, okay? All right, um, what else? Oh, I wanted to make you aware, uh, coming up, we're, we're going to do um, a couple different things coming up. One, we're going to have a baptism service along with our our celebration Sunday, and that's that's going to be on May 20, 26th. It's uh, the Memorial Day weekend. So listen, if you want to get baptized, I'll baptize you next week. No big deal. Anytime you want. But we want to do a service. Sometimes that becomes a little more special and exciting, and especially on a celebration Sunday where we all get to be a part of that. So if you're contemplating that, thinking about that, you can you can inquire. There's a little card in the pew rack. We'll, we'll make mention of that later as well. Um, the other thing I wanted to make you aware of, we've had several, uh, not only people be born again, saved in our church in the last couple years. We've had several new additions, new births in our family. And uh, so on Mother's Day this year, next month, I think it's May 12th, we are going to have uh, not only a service about moms and Mother's Day and dedicating our children to the Lord, we're going to have a child dedication service that day. So if, if parents, if you are here, and, and it, it doesn't matter how old your kids are, <laughs> maybe the teenagers would resist a little bit, but you can still dedicate them to the Lord, right? But if you, you have a newborn baby, you have a, a toddler, you have a, a, a little bit bigger than a toddler, Whatever, if you feel like, you know, I just, we just want to set apart our kids and dedicate them to the Lord, to, to covenant with this community, let this community here covenant with you to be a part of your kid's life. That's amazing. I've got to tell you, um, this last, I, I, I don't know what we're doing. Oh, the Seder. We did the Seder dinner, right? And my wife had, a, had an arrangement going on. I, couldn't, I, couldn't, I had to be here. My son was with me. And that day was Sunday morning, right? So Sunday morning, that day, my son just kind of cruising around, running around. But you all loved him so well. You took care of him. I mean, one of the services, I think he was up here with Ryan, just standing next to Ryan doing announcements. And, and it, I know it takes a village covenanting with me and my family to help raise my children. And I, I so appreciate that. Uh, my kids were, or my son was in the Seder dinner, and, and I'm, I'm helping arrange that and get it going, right? And so my son's sitting at a table, and uh, Kathy and Brian uh, Scheiber were there. And I said, Kathy, you got it? Oh, yeah, yeah, I got it. And, and I look over, and Wesley's just sitting on Kathy. Kathy is just, oh, leaning there. And it warms my heart, right? That's, that's why I wanted to dedicate my kids to the Lord and, and to help because I needed your help and input. So that's what a dedication service is. It's not saying your kids are saved. We're not baptizing your kids that way. We're just saying let's dedicate them to the Lord, that you as parents are covenanting to say we're, we're going to do our best to raise them up uh, as godly children, to teach them the word of God, to teach them about Jesus, to have, have him in the forefront of your mind and your hearts and your family. And then you're asking us as a church body to covenant too. So that's coming up May 12th. If you're it's on Mother's Day, if you would like to be a part of that or, or participate in that, just Grab a welcome card. I know Ryan uh, told you about those earlier. You put your name on there. Say, yeah, we want a child dedication. We're, we're interested in that, and we'll, we'll talk about that uh, more as it, it comes up. The other thing is this. I love seeing some new faces. I know some of you are visiting your family, and I ask your name, and I told you my name. Um, I'm, I've already forgotten most of them. I'm sorry. And I usually don't do that. It's just, man, it's been a great day. And uh, so if you want to get connected here, uh, we want to make sure that you do, and uh, you can do that through the welcome card. Make sure you just you give it to me after service or Alistair at the back. Um, I know the offering plate's already gone by. But we'd love to just, if you want to stay connected and be connected here, we'd love to follow up with you personally and just get to know you a little more than just the, hi, how are you? Good to see you. Happy Easter. All right? All right. 
That being said, it's Easter. It's time to celebrate, right? It's time to be excited. Uh, we are going to read this, this story out of, uh, out of, this, out of the story, the, the account of the resurrection. God, thank you so much for today, and thank you for your love and your grace that you've poured out on us. God, we thank you for this, this Passion Week, this Holy Week that we've got to be a part of in the ways of serving and loving people, in the ways of contemplating and praying, and in the ways of thinking about uh, the, the sacrifice that you made as you gave yourself on the cross. We are so grateful for that. And God, we, what we're even more grateful is, is that it didn't stay at Friday. God, we knew that although it was Friday, Sunday was coming. And we were excited now today to celebrate a risen Savior. Our God is not dead. He is surely alive, and we thank you for that. We praise him. And God, as we go to your word today, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to be receptive to your words, to your Holy Spirit, to, his, to it as it guides us and directs us, as it convicts us of sin, as it challenges, challenges the ways we think, or God, it, it directs us towards a, a more obedient life. God, we want to be listeners today and hearers of the word. Help us to perceive what you'd have us perceive today. Challenge us and change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Aren't you glad it didn't end with Good Friday? Right? That's, it's, uh, it's an amazing thing. We're going to talk all about the resurrection today. So here we go. So Jesus was on the cross. He died and was buried. And then uh, the story continues. And when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on the way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples... He is risen from the dead and is now or is and is going ahead of you into Galilee. Then you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, Tell me where you put him, and I will get him. Jesus answered her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to the Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. 
I have seen the Lord. And she told them, uh, told, told them that he had said these things to her. Now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked among them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more is it's, been, it's the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who had said that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter in his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them all, uh, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began uh, to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, uh, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Uh, there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together, saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then, the, then uh, the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Pretty amazing story, isn't it? Pretty amazing event that's happened in history for us to to learn from and glean from, but to have our hope in. And, and today we're going to look at the resurrection, and we're going to look at what Scripture says about the resurrection. We're going to break it apart and, and say, what, what, why? What, what's the importance of the resurrection? And, and, and so many of us often walk around like, like okay, yeah, Jesus, good teacher, good things. He said good things. We have, have the Bible. Awesome. Okay, I, yeah, I believe. But, but real belief, real belief from the heart moves us beyond just, oh, Jesus existed. See, we believe that Christ was buried and then he rose again. That he didn't just die on a cross for our sins and stay dead. Friday is not where it stopped. Amen? It went beyond that. And that out of the resurrection and the power behind the resurrection, there is something for you and I to glean and observe and something for us to be motivated to do. Right? There's more here than just Jesus is a good guy and he died for us. This is God. The God of the universe came down from heaven humbled himself, and made himself a servant, giving up his very life on the cross that you and I could have freedom from our sins. But he proved it when he rose from the dead, saying, sin and death, it cannot hold me. And because sin and death cannot hold me, and because I can rise and I will rise, by the same power, you and I can have a resurrection as well. So we're going to look at the resurrection today. All right, number one, the resurrection reveals God's great mercy. 
It reveals God's great mercy. Uh, I told you earlier, let's turn to 1 Peter, right? 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read this chunk of scripture together. Uh, 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 3, and we'll go through 9. And I want us to see the, the total picture, and then we're going to break it down, okay? 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 3. It said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. In verse 5, it says, You are being guarded by God's power through faith for salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though for now, or now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, it may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you, though, and through not seeing him, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So important for us to look at Christ, and, and, and especially the goal of our faith is the salvation of our souls. And that's how God is wired up. It's not about good works. It's not about attending Easter service. It's not about looking the part or saying you look the part or accomplishing things. It's about us coming to Christ for everything and for him and the finished work that he has on the cross being applied to us. That's, that's the goal, our salvation of our souls because of our faith in him. Now, we're going to break this down and look at the power of the resurrection. I mentioned number one is this. The resurrection reveals God's great mercy. Now, go back up in 1 Peter. Look at verses 3 through 5. It says this. Be, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So blessed. We're saying, blessed, praise you, thank you, God. We're praising God for something, right? So what's he say? Praise God because of his great mercy. His great mercy. So there's, there's a reaction we should have about God and who he is and, and how much love and praise we should give him because of his great mercy. Well, here's what's cool about this. This section of Scripture just builds and builds and builds. It's like a big run-on sentence, right? You think I talk fast and long. Wait till we read this section, okay? It, it, gets, it builds on itself. So I want you to, to keep tracking. It keeps on adding to and adding to to see the fullness of this great mercy, okay? Let's look at it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because of his great mercy, okay? Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see the progression there? He's given us new birth. He's given us a living hope. How? Well, through the power of the resurrection, through raising Christ from the dead. And it goes on, right? And into an inheritance. So not only is there power there for us to have new birth and a living hope, there is this hope in an inheritance. And we, we understand that as people. We understand that, oh, you know, my family may pass away, my, my parents or grandparents, and we may receive an inheritance or the estate. It's kind of passed on. So you can kind of cling to that a little bit, but keep going with this. It says, an inheritance that is, here's, here's it describes this for us. This inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Here's the promise about God's great mercy and why we praise him and thank him but because of the power of the resurrection. He has established an inheritance for us that we can grab onto and that we can hold onto and we'll never have to let go, and it will never be ripped away from us. It is something that is imperishable. Every single thing that we could cling to on earth, 
every achievement, every inheritance, every prize, every hope that we could have on earth. Sure, grab it. But guess what? Every single thing will be ripped away. Everything. Scripture tells us that one day, every one of us will stand naked and bare before Him to whom we must give an account. You won't get to take a single thing with you. Nothing. Nothing that you and I could ever hold on to will ever last. But what His hope is saying, this living hope, because of the power of the resurrection, what He's saying is that the inheritance that is given to you, ultimately all down the line, the salvation of our souls, this hope we have in Christ for eternity, can never be taken away. It's imperishable. It's undefiled unfading kept in heaven for you and it goes on there's more verse 5 you are being guarded you are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time isn't that awesome God is guarding with a power the same power that rose Jesus from the dead guards your inheritance and guards your salvation in Christ Jesus that's that's the significance of the resurrection there's power behind the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not just, oh, he, he lived and he died. He died for our sins. Yay, Jesus. There, is, there should be now inexpressible joy coming out of us. We should be thankful for this great mercy that he has. Now, this is, to me, part of the picture. Although we added a lot and kept going and going, we're going to go to the book of Ephesians real quick. Keep your finger here. We're going to come back to it. Go to the book of Ephesians. It's, it's, a, it's a few books in front of this. Galatians, then Ephesians. And we're going to look at verse, or chapter 2, looking at verse 3 through 5. Paul kind of gives us a broader picture of this, an, an understanding of why it is that it's great mercy. Remember, we saw this. We bless God, we praise God because of His great mercy. Well, is His great, great mercy just that there's an inheritance? Just that we, we, we can value Him as a treasure of, for, for forgiveness? It's more than that. It needs to go deeper than that. We need to understand the depth of our rescue. In order to understand and really call it great mercy, we have to understand the depth of our rescue. Really important. Let me, let me show you how this works. You're driving on the freeway, on the 5, and you get a flat tire. It's, it's night, okay? We won't say it's raining, but it's night. It, and it's, it's not fun to get a flat tire on the freeway, right? You're in between exits. You can't pull off the exit. You've you got to stop on the shoulder. It's, it's dangerous. It's not fun. You, you kind of, ugh. Right now, if, you, if, you're, if you're someone who's pretty mechanically inclined, you know, you're, you've done this before, you know where your wrench is, you know where the jack is, you know where the spare tire, you know how to get it out and lower it down and take that little thing out of there. You know, you know if you know how to do all that, you're like, okay, okay, I'm going to waste, it's going to take some time, I'm not going to be very happy about this, right? Not only is it going to take time, it's, it's, I'm going to get dirty because you've got to touch that dirty tire and you got, there's grease involved and there's tire rubber and road involved and there's dirt on the side of the road and you've got you to change the tire, right? So, now you're going to get dirty as well. And don't you hate it? You usually get a flat tire when you're wearing shorts and flip-flops, right? And your, your knees are all graveled up and your toes are all broken apart because it's not very fun. And, and so if, if you can do it, you're in that, you're, that's the kind of predicament. And then, and then someone pulls in a tow truck, right? They just pull in behind you. You're like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Someone that has the bib overalls on that's already greased up, that's over, that does this all the time, is going to save me time. It just feels like this mercy just came. Like, thank you, have mercy, right? Now, it feels good. I, I, it's great. Let's do another scenario. Same, same scenario, but you have no idea what you're doing. You don't even know it takes a jack to lift up the car. You're trying to, like, you know, it's like, I, how do I do this? Right? And you have to be on the phone with AAA, and, and you are desperate on the side of the road. Your, your lights are flashing, and you're just for warning. You're hoping the battery doesn't run out, right? 
and, and you're just scared. And then the tow truck driver pulls up. You see how it's, you're in a little more desperate of a situation and the tow truck driver pulls up? It's like, oh, this is, this is real mercy. This is what I really need. It's important to understand. It's a, it's a deeper level of mercy, right? Not just, I could have done it on my own. Thanks for showing up and it, it, you helped me. It was, that was good. But now I cannot do this. I'm really bad at this. I had to call AAA and they came out. Go farther than that. Because you, you need to understand great mercy or his rich mercy is this abounding, overflowing mercy that reaches us at a place of desperation where we absolutely have no hope. Okay, no hope. There is no triple A or cell phone. It, it's the, the, the TV shows that, that are titled, I Shouldn't Be Alive. Have you seen those? I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's like, whoa, what just happened? Here's what we're talking. You fall from a, a distance or, or you, and you break your legs or you're in the middle of the desert. You run out of water and have heat stroke and you are left for dead. Your cell phone is gone. There's no cell service. You are, you're bleeding out or you're, you had to make a tourniquet or your, your legs are broken. You can't get up and walk. This is what we're talking when we talk about great mercy. See, God in his great mercy, and the reason it's great mercy to get a picture of this, he came and rescued us at our deepest, darkest moment of need. We were lying in that desert, parched and desperate. We were lying at the bottom of that precipice with our legs broken. And he came and it reached into the mire and grabbed us and picked us up and did what we couldn't do on our own. That's great mercy. So it's not just enough to say, thank you for rescuing me and bandaging me and, and helping me get healed. That's the first part, what we read, this inheritance we're going to receive from Jesus. We have to go back to the beginning. And that's what Paul shows us here in Ephesians chapter 2, looking at verse 3 through 5. Here's what it says. It says, We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and were by nature children under wrath, as others were also. Here's the picture he paints. Here's what he says. Everyone's messed up. Everyone's laying at the bottom of the precipice. Everyone's parched in the, in the desert with no, no capacity on their own to fix it. Paul says every single person, Scripture tells us, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And, and, and the wages of that sin is death and separation from God forever. And there's nothing that you can do and there's nothing that I can do to fix or resolve that situation at all. And so many, so many just waste their life, spin their wheels, trying to earn, clawing their way to get better, to get right. God's like, you can't. And Paul's saying, listen, there was a time, for some of us, we're Christ followers. For some of us, we've put our faith and hope in Jesus. We've let him come down and pick us up out of the mire, and he's restored us. But for some of you, you're still there. And to understand great mercy is to understand your great need. Paul says that in that position, in that place of following the inclinations of our flesh, doing whatever we wanted, it's like the, the book of Judges, the time when the judges ruled, right? They lived, Israel lived like there was no king. And everyone did what was right in their own sight. That doesn't lead to a happy ending, by the way. We, can think, we think we can be fulfilled. We think we can add to our life some, some greatness, some prospering, uh, some comfort. But in the end, we can't hold on to that. That, too, will be ripped away. And what we're left with is the sin that has marred us and stained us, has disabled us and left us in a hopeless place of despair. Paul says we are children under wrath because of our sin. Well, guess what? You know why Good Friday is good? Because God took the wrath that was aimed at you and me, and he put it on Christ on the cross. 
And in God's pleasure, he was pleased to crush Christ because in doing so, he offered us a way to be free. He offered us a way to be forgiven, to be whole. But we have to understand that this great mercy, this great mercy offering of God through Christ on the cross and him risen to newness of life, to life, raises us to newness of life. That you and I have to embrace that. Paul goes on. So he says, we are children by nature under wrath. In verse 4, I love this. If you know me long enough, you hear me preach long enough, I love these conjunctions, right? But God. But God. You want to talk about rich and great mercy. You see a horrible, desperate situation, and then it's like the TV show. But I hear a helicopter. But I heard a dog. Like someone was coming on their quad. This, this is better than that, isn't it? We were desperate. We looked great. We were desperate. And God showed up. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy, right? His great mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. Amen. See, that's what God's great mercy is. If we if we embrace the resurrection, if we need to know what's important about the resurrection is this, it reveals God's great mercy. Because by the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that can rescue us from the most desperate place of sin and despair and judgment and give us new life in Jesus Christ because he came back to life, conquering Satan's sin and death once and for all. Number two, the resurrection brings a living hope through new birth. The resurrection brings a living hope through new birth. If you look at the, the second half of verse B, or verse 3, sorry, B, 3B, and, and uh, this is back in 1 Peter. Flipping back there, right? Hear that? There we go, there we go. So verse 3, the second part of it, it says this, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There's power here, right? There's power in the resurrection. It's giving us living hope, new birth. And I go, go back to verse 5. You are being guarded by God's power. You see, this power is there through our faith for salvation. There's this, this guarding of that, of that salvation in that faith that we express in Christ through the power of the resurrection. And it's interesting to have a living hope. A living hope is very, very essential to our faith, to our growth. I, I want you to think about this. You might have people in your life, and I know I do. I have people in my life that are just shining stars, that are amazing people of faith, of conviction, of love, and humility, and service. Like, when I look at them, I'm like, I, I wish I'm half the person they are, right? They're just amazing examples, and examples of Christ. And, and, and we can look at that and say, I, I my, and when I see their life, and I see their faith, my, my hope kind of wells up inside of me, doesn't it? I have some joy because of that, and that's a good thing to have. But, but there's a difference between having hope and joy and having a living hope and a living joy. You see, even that person who brings joy and, and gives me hope in humanity and in, in Jesus even will ultimately fail me in some way. Right? And, and maybe, listen, I've told you this before. I'm a man. If you're here to put your faith in me, I am going to disappoint you. I am not the Savior. I know the Savior, but I am not the Savior. And, and the people I put my hope in and you put your hope in, those people are not the Savior. 
We can be hopeful and excited there, but that person will disappoint us. And ultimately, that person will die. Jesus did that too. He died. But he rose back to life. And the reason a living hope is so much greater than just a hope is because that living hope is an eternal hope. It will last far into the future, all into eternity for us. Not only will it be here now, present for us to grab onto and cling onto, it will be there from forever to forever. That's a living hope. It's not just, oh, I'm hopeful about it. It's a living hope. And if you and I are Christ followers, embracing the resurrection of Jesus, we ought to act like it, right? We ought to act like there's a living hope out there. We ought to express the fact that we have a trust in a living hope and a living God. Because we have a living hope. And, it's, and it leads also to, it's that new birth that produces that living hope, it says, right? That the resurrection brings a living hope through new birth. He's given us new birth and into a living hope. Well, let's talk about that new, that new birth. Because without the power of the resurrection, we can only grab onto this fading hope, this fleeting hope, and ultimately it's a, a dead hope. There can only be one birth and there's a death. But with new birth, God takes our life that was all messed up. He helps us end that, right? Die to ourselves and raise to newness of life in Him. And then that hope wells up in us to eternal life that ultimately, although this shell will die, I will live forever with Jesus and have a glorified body, and that will be an eternal hope. Because He rose, I will rise also. But here's the deal. If He didn't rise, it's worthless. 1 Corinthians says that. In verse, or chapter 15, verse 17, it says this. If Christ had not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. If Christ had not been raised, our faith and hope is in Jesus, who is dead. And that's a disappointing hope. If, if, if our faith in Jesus is dead and Christ is still dead, he did not raise conquering sin, defeating death, and neither will we. And there's no reason for us to be here anymore today. We can go home. But that's not what we celebrate, is it? We celebrate the fact that he rose from the grave conquering death. That he is a God who is not dead. He is alive and well. And he lives in me. And empowers us to overcome the penalty of sin. And to be able to spend eternity with him. He did it. He rose from the dead. He said in John chapter 11, verse 25, he was speaking to I think Martha at this time, or Mary, after raising Lazarus. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Dead guy can't say that. He knew. He was God. He would raise from the dead. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And see, that's what we're getting. We're getting this, this message of hope from Jesus saying, listen, everything else is going to be ripped away. Your, your very shell of who you are and the sin that's in you is going to drag you down to the bottom. You need a Savior. You need a life. You need a resurrection power. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you will live. And this is new birth that happens inside of us. We talked about this a couple weeks ago when we started this Living Hope theme, the series. We, we talked about uh, John chapter 3 where Jesus is having a conversation with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is a Pharisee who has worked really, really hard and earned his way. And he has a resume that's huge. And he, he looks awesome on paper. He looks awesome in real life. But he hears what Jesus is saying and he's feeling convicted. See, God begins to stir something up in his heart. 
and say, Nicodemus, you don't have all the answers here. You think you're right, but you're not. As he comes and meets Jesus and talks to him face to face at night and wants some more answers about this as God stirs in his heart. And later we see Nicodemus becomes a follower of Christ, a, a saved follower of Christ. He leaves this, this model of religion and says, I'm going to follow Jesus. But in this conversation, here's what Jesus says in John chapter 3, verses 6 through 7. He says, whatever's born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever's born of the spirit is spirit. What he's saying is, you're born of the flesh, and what you sow in the flesh, you reap in the flesh, it's flesh. You look great. You have a nice car. You have a good job. You have a nice spouse. You have 3.5 kids or whatever it is. Great. Good for you, right? Good for you. What's flesh is flesh. He's saying that's perishable stuff, Jesus is saying. But he says what's born of the spirit, now that's spirit. That's something different. And he goes on to say, he says, don't be surprised. Don't be amazed that I've told you, you must be born again. Because the flesh is just flesh. If you're sitting here relying on your own flesh like Nicodemus did, it's not going to get you anywhere eternally. And, and I want you to understand something. When we talk about being born again with a guy like Nicodemus, who's squared away, who has his stuff all lined up, his ducks are in a row, and he, his resume is great, he, he doesn't want to go back. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. He's like, I, I have to be reborn? I have to start back at the beginning? I have to start over? I've got this many degrees and this many hours, and I, I, I memorize this many books of the Bible. Are you kidding me? Just like, yeah, what's flesh is flesh. That, your resume is all flesh. You need to be born again. And he told his disciples later on, how hard is it, children, to enter the kingdom of heaven? How hard is it? Because we've got to go back to the beginning, don't we? We've got to go back to a place of humility and absolute emptiness. No clout, no resume. Say, God, I'm nothing. I am absolutely nothing without you. Please be my everything. I want you to be my everything. My hope's in you. For a guy like Nicodemus, he said it's, it's, more, it's more feasible for what? A camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Because who wants to go back to square one? Who wants to give up what they have? But for some on the other side, they're in so much despair and so much hurt. and They're like, I'm ready. Just please, please cancel my resume. Erase all of it. I want it gone. And she's like, yeah, I do that too. I erase resumes so I can be the resume. So I can be the sufficiency. So I can be the resurrection and the life. And so you and I can cling to a hope that will never, ever fade away. A hope that's eternal for us in heaven. And it's, it, we're charged to believe that. He said, believe. So Jesus was challenging people that were in despair and say, hey, hey, I'm challenging your perception. Everyone wants to hold this against you. I don't. Let's cancel your resume. And he was challenging the re religious elite, right? This, this person that, that, said, that had spiritual bankruptcy. He was challenging them to say, you need to lose everything. You need to get rid of all that resume. Everything you hold on to and let me rewrite that. See, he was, Nicodemus was trusting in his merit and his own abilities for his salvation. But Nicodemus is not the Savior. And if you're trusting in your own merit and your own abilities for your salvation, guess what? You're not the Savior either. Jesus is the Savior. Here's what Paul said. Paul says this. Paul was a Pharisee. And in Philippians 3, I read this a couple weeks ago. Paul was a Pharisee just like Nicodemus. And, and this picture, I think, of what Nicodemus felt is, is expressed by Paul's words uh, to, to the Philippians in chapter 3. He says, more than that, I, I consider everything that I had, everything, everything that was on my resume, and Paul's resume was long, maybe bigger than Nicodemus's. He says, everything that, that I had, I consider it to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
So when Paul came face to face, he knew that everything he had was worth nothing. He goes on, he says, because of him, Jesus, right, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung. Trans- Can we translate that for you? That's poop. There's a pile outside of the city. That, that's where they take their poop and they burn it. Probably pretty smelly. Right? They didn't have waste disposal like we do today. They didn't have a good leech line. They took it out of the city and burned it. He says, everything I counted as gain, everything I counted as a, as a resume, as a, a thing on my list, it's like it, it needs to be thrown in the poop pile so that I might gain Christ. He says, I don't care about anything else except for gaining Christ. And being found in him, not having a righteousness, here's where it is, not having a righteousness or a goodness or a, a perfection that comes from myself or from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. See, he understood that a righteousness that he had to have in his life could never be achieved, and that's why all that stuff was poop. He said, I need Jesus. It's Jesus or bust. And Paul embraced Jesus with a, with a passion and a zeal. And Peter did, and, and many of you have. But we understand that that's what we're doing. We're gaining everything. By the power of the resurrection, we are gaining a new birth. And all that stuff we want to hold on to is really just poop. And it needs to be tossed out because you need to understand that we are gaining Christ as our most supreme treasure. And if you, even, if you don't think your stuff and your resume is poop, it's, it's still less than the treasure that Christ is. He's still worth sacrificing all of it. But I know you've got to count that cost. That's why it's hard to believe and get into the kingdom of heaven. Because we have to come to that place of emptiness. We have to come to that place of repentance, right? When the Matthew says that we come to him empty. We, we mourn over our, our sin and we, we weep over our, the, the position that we're in. And we empty ourselves in meekness and humility, standing before God, bare and empty, saying, God, I've got nothing. I'm not bringing anything to you that, that I want to do or want to continue in. I want to I leave that behind and I want you to fill me up. And he says, you got it. You've got all of me. You've got all of me by the power of the resurrection. And that is enough for you. That's enough for me. The resurrection brings us a living hope through this new birth as we have faith in Jesus Christ. Finally, number three. The resurrection moves us to joyfully seek the things above. The resurrection moves us to joyfully seek the things above. Let's talk about the joyful part of it first. Okay, Look at, look at 1 Peter, if you go back there in your scripture. 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 5 through 9. Now, this is a chunk, again, a run-on sentence. It's hard. I'm going to try to read it the way it should be read. Grab onto it, and we'll, and we'll clean it up after I read it. You ready? 1 Peter 1, 5 through 9. You are being guarded. So we've talked about that. You're being guarded by God's power through faith for salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6, you rejoice in this. Right? There's joy in that. That through the power of the resurrection and God's great mercy, He's guarding your salvation as you, as you have expressed faith in Him. We should rejoice in that. Even though for now, for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. So it's saying, coming to Christ, coming to faith in Christ, having this inheritance secure and guarded by the power of the resurrection does not mean we're going to be free of bad stuff. It doesn't mean we're going to be free of, of, of pain and suffering. 
doesn't mean the bills that came last week are going to disappear from your desk. It's there. He says, even though you rejoice, even though for a little, little while you might suffer. He says, he goes on, he says, so that, this suffering is so that the proven character of your faith, so hold on to that, the proven character of your faith. So in suffering, it proves the character of our faith. Is it, was it really in Jesus for the resurrection power for, for everything? Or is it just because it was Easter Sunday and it felt good to do it? Is it for good times and bad times? Yeah, it is. So the proven character of your faith, which, by the way, it says is more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire. It's comparing, comparing that faith, that journey, that those bad things are going to come, right? If it's going to refine us, make us sharper, prove our faith. And it goes back basically to rejoicing again. It says that it may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, so the idea of verse 6 here, or, and 7, is that we rejoice because of what he's guarding for us, namely the salvation of our souls from the faith that we've exhibited in him. And knowing that all the while, it doesn't mean everything here is going to get better. It means everything there will be perfect. But here it's not, and it will be refined, and that faith will be refined over and over. How many of you have been refined a little bit by fire? Right? It, it's hard. It's not easy, but it's, it, we just have more and more joy because he continues to say, I will be with you always. And I'm guarding, I'm guarding you, guarding this salvation for you. And it says, though you have seen, uh, sorry, yeah, though you have not seen him, you love him. And through not seeing him now, you believe in him. And it says, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. That's what the resurrection should produce, amen? Inexpressible and glorious joy. I'm excited every Sunday here because that's what, that's what we're talking about. And as Easter comes, comes closer, it's like Christmas, right? It's like, I just can't, it's going to overflow. Why? Because we have inexpressible and glorious joy because of God's salvation of our souls given to us by the mercy of God in the power of the resurrection. That's what we see. That's why the resurrection is important. He says, because you are, so this joy goes out, because you are receiving the goal of your faith. Not the goal of your works, not the goal of your resume, the goal of your faith which is the salvation of your souls. I want to read one last passage. Colossians chapter 3. You can turn there if you'd like to with me. Colossians chapter 3. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians. So we've, we've talked about the joy, right? We, this should, the resurrection should move us to joy. Inexpressible and glorious joy. You guys joyous? Yeah? God's good, right? So we're, we're here at the, in Colossians chapter 3. I want to read verses 1 through 3. It says, so, if, I'll stop there, okay, if, if, Jesus said, you must be born again. He says, don't be amazed that I've said, I'm the resurrection of life, and don't be amazed that I've said, you must be born again, you must believe in me. If you haven't believed, if you haven't expressed faith from the heart and belief in Christ as Messiah, emptied yourself and said, you're my treasure, I'm leaving everything else behind. If you haven't done that, this verse doesn't, doesn't apply. But for those of us who have come to faith in Christ and found a salvation that was not from us but from God, this applies. So it says, so if, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. 
So it, that's part of our expression. It's a joyful expression, seeking the things above. In verse 2, it says, set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. In verse 3, it says, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Listen, for those who are Christ followers, who have expressed faith in Christ, we are no longer ours. We were bought at a price. And in, in, we see in 2 Corinthians where, where he says, there, there was an old person, and then he made us new, and behold, all things have become new. That's the symbolism even behind baptism, right? We, when we get baptized, baptized, it's not a salvation at all. There's no works that earn salvation. It is, it is a symbol of our commitment and devotion to God. It's a symbol of Him cleansing us. It's a symbol of us being buried, dying to ourselves, being buried, and rising to newness of life in Christ. We identify with Him. We identify with Him in the resurrection that He has made all things new. So, so, for you and I, who are Christ followers, the resurrection moves us. And it should move us to joyfully seeking the things above. It's not a hidden joy. It's not a hidden joy that says, yeah, on Easter time, I'm really glad Jesus saved me. Or in my devotion time, in my quiet time, I'm just really, really glad Jesus saved me. It is an, a, a lifestyle that says, God, you are first in everything. I joyfully surrender my hopes, my dreams, my life, my actions, my inactions to you. That you and I, if you are a Christ follower, when we walk out these doors and every moment after should we live pursuing obedience to Him, joyfully surrendering to Him, joyfully every moment seeking the things that are above, not our own will. And I'm as guilty as you are of it. I'll walk out and I'll seek my own will and I am tarnishing the resurrection. I'm tarnishing what He accomplished on that cross. There is power in the resurrection. There's power that moves me into supreme joy. And the ability to seek the things that are above, the scripture says. So let's, let's talk about application today. What do, we, what do we do with this? One, I think that we need to respond to God's mercy. How do you respond to God's mercy? Well, you respond to God's mercy like you need it. Because you do. It's a great mercy and you, you cannot accomplish anything on your own, but he did it all for you. Believe that trust him cry out to him god save me god rescue me believe in faith in jesus christ or maybe you need to respond with joyful obedience joyful obedience i mentioned earlier that we're gonna have a baptism service uh, at the end of may if you're here and you maybe you've never followed christ in baptism you never followed him in obedience and decided i'm going to identify with christ in baptism i'm going to show that he is he has helped me to to put to death my old self, be buried with him, and rise to newness of life and be clean. I, I, I don't want to be ashamed of Jesus anymore. I'm going to shout it out. That's going to be my overflow of joy so the world knows that Jesus has forgiven me. That's what that is. That's what baptism is. It's saying I'm not ashamed. If you've never followed Christ in obedience and been baptized, I, I'd love you to do that. I'd love you to consider that. That's our joyful expression of obedience to his powerful resurrection. Finally, the thing we could do in response is to joyfully seek the things that are above. I think too many of us settle. We're saved. We know Jesus. We have his righteousness. Let's just go on about our business. You, you mind your business, I'll mind my business. And Jesus says, I want you to be about my business. And that is hard because it takes us again denying ourselves, laying our own ego down, laying our own pride down, and letting the power of the resurrection well up in us a joy 
and a joyful obedience to seek the things above. We aren't perfect. It doesn't mean we're perfect. But it means we have a perfect Savior that we want to follow with all of our heart. Why not live for the one who died for you and rose from the grave, securing our inheritance? Amen? Amen. As we close today, we're going to be serving the Lord's Supper. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up and those who are serving the Lord's Supper to come up as well. <clears throat> I've got five of you guys coming up, and I'm going to help serve too. We, uh, as we serve the Lord's Supper today, it's, it, it's a wonderful day to serve it on Easter Sunday. And, and our church recently went to serving the Lord's Supper um, every, every five weeks. You can go stand and kind of face those guys. That'd be great. Come on up here, Norm. Um, and we, we do the Lord's Supper now every five weeks. It was quarterly. We just want, if someone misses, we want to make sure they have a, uh, are able to participate in this more regularly. Uh, but it happened to fall. It just happened to fall on Easter. And we're, we're so excited about that. Um, obviously, today we've talked about the body that was given for us the blood that was shed for us, and the power of the resurrection, right? The power that raised Christ to newness of life. And I, I'm just, I'm thrilled with that. I can't wait to see what God does as we remember his body and his blood. So, so today, here's how we do this in our church. Uh, we're going to be serving the Lord's Supper, and, and we, we serve in the little cups, and there's, there's two cups, right? One has the, the cracker in the bottom, and one has the juice on the top. And as we serve the Lord's Supper today, uh, just grab that and hold it, and I'd ask that you just wait until everyone's been served, and we'll come back up, and I'll read a scripture, and I'll pray over that, uh, that cracker. We'll partake together. Then we'll, we'll read some more scripture and pray over that juice, the blood, and we'll partake together and celebrate the Lord's Supper. Now, here's some instruction for some of you. Um, this is a very important thing for, for us that are Christ followers. We, we have trusted in, in faith in Christ and, and let him be our everything. And so this means everything to us. And, and we need to, as Christ followers, examine our heart. This is not something we do in happenstance. This is something we do in total emptiness because he had total victory for us. And when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we celebrate that. We celebrate that it's finished for us. If you're not a Christ follower, we would ask that you would just pass it along to the next person. Your, your uh, part in this would be to observe. Observe us as we honor Jesus. Observe us as we remember what he's done for us because it's very, very personal. There's no shame in that. If you need to pass it, you pass it. Those who are going to partake will partake and, and rejoice and celebrate what Christ has done for us. Uh, there may be children here. Parents, you know where your children are in, in belief and faith. Uh, they come in all different sizes and shapes and flavors, don't they? And wherever they are, you need to, you need to know. If, if they know Christ, if they've expressed faith, and they can partake and participate. If they haven't yet, they're probably not quite there. Okay, And they can observe you doing that and wonder what, why that's so important and have conversation more about that later. Okay? That sound good? We're just going to have some music playing, and then at the end of the service, we'll, we'll sing a song, and uh, we'll head home.